And so essentially, uh, we're already taking care of kids in homes on the campuses. Uh, what this does is it puts a license in the home with the, with the foster parents as opposed to the license on the campus. Hello and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Josh, I am so excited to uh, to get into this interview that you did with Derek Brown today of the Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes and kind of what they're dealing with when it comes to changes in the law. Uh, but kind of tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's one of my uh, greater privileges right now in life to be able to serve on the board of directors uh, and be an officer of the board of the directors for the Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes and Family Ministries. They've just got so much going on, uh, and they're doing such great work with children, with families, you know, and and really kind of just expanding that. And they're really setting the bar uh, statewide, but also nationally uh, for dealing with this new change in the law that we've got. It's called the Family First Act. And really what it's done is it's it will possibly serve to really shut down residential care. You, you have to have some special circumstances to do to do residential care after family first goes into effect. And so uh, it's really taking those those group care homes and and making them make some changes. And and uh, Derek and the, the Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes have just done a fantastic job of rolling with that particular punch uh, that we're, I think they're going to be better for it in the long run um, and, and, you know, better able to serve kids and families. Um, but really, you know, one of the key things that we need to listen to here is the need to have a parachurch ministry come alongside the church. Um, you know, the church is great at spiritual things. We need to need, need to be the leaders on spiritual things. But we need professionals to walk alongside the church in those areas where we don't major. Uh, and one of those is child welfare. Now, we want to evangelize children. We want to minister to children. Jesus said, let the children come to me, to me and do not uh, f- uh, forbid them for such is the kingdom of heaven. So, man, we need to be focusing on kids. But we also need to understand that when it comes to child welfare, there are enormous complexities in what's going on in terms of um, – uh, you know, psychologically and behaviorally with that kid, there's a whole legal process that that your ch- uh, church family uh, members are going to have to go through if they're going to be foster families. Uh, so it is a it's a really big deal, but you really need a parachurch ministry to come alongside you like they do. And you know, they don't try to replace the church; they are there to help the church. Uh, and there are ministries like that all over uh, the country who come alongside churches and help them through this legally and emotionally and psychologically and behaviorally complicated uh, process. Well, today we are super excited to have Dr. Derek Brown with us. Derek is the executive director of the Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes and Family Ministries, which I am privileged to serve on the board of directors. Derek, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Josh. How are you? Doing all right, man. I'm so grateful to have you on. We're uh, for National Adoption Month, talking through all sorts of child welfare issues on the Law and Church podcast. Uh, and today we want to go into uh, kind of the precursor to a great many adoptions, and that is foster care, which is a subject you have become uh, intimately familiar with and really become an expert on in the last uh, few weeks and months as we have dealt with this Family First Act, and, and you are much more of an expert on Family First than I am, so I'm just going to ask that. What is the Family First Act? 
I don't know that there are any experts on the family's first act, including <laughs> those who, uh, who have written this. Uh, we call it a bill. It's actually an addendum um, mm-hmm. because it was added to uh, the, the Bipartisan Budget Act that was passed in February of last year, February of 2018. And it was one of those uh, addendums that was added into it at the last hour. And so, as you can imagine, uh, they're rushing to get a, a budget passed. And so not many eyes were actually on uh, the Family First Prevention Service Act prior to it being passed as law. And so uh, once it got passed through, uh, then everybody's looking at what is Families First. Some of us are, are still asking some of those questions uh, specifically in regard to, uh, to some of the practical uh, specifics uh, that it lays out for how to do child welfare. And so it's, um, you know, it's federal legislation. Uh, they got very little attention prior to uh, its passing. And for the last two years, it's something that has been the subject of a lot of conversations. Uh, to put it simply, uh, the, the gist of the bill is to, uh, to move funding from group home care to prevention services, to in-home services for kids who qualify for foster care. Okay, very good. So how has that impacted what you do at, um, at the children's homes? Well, what I tell you is the, um, the FFPSA, uh, as we call it, uh, it's, an, it's a good sell because uh, everybody believes family is the, the best place for kids. You know, whenever safe and appropriate, kids should stay with their biological family. As a child welfare agency, we believe that uh, very strongly. Uh, the challenge is with some of the, the language of the FFPSA and some of the timing uh, for which services occur. Uh, for instance, in order to qualify for the funds from FFPSA, uh, a kid needs to be able to meet the definition for qualifying for foster care. Uh, well, in order to qualify for foster care, uh, substantiated abuse really has already occurred. And so the, the biggest challenge, not just for our agency, but for our nation in the implementation of uh, Families First is how do we justify prevention services when we know uh, at least alleged, and, and as I said, for sustained foster care, substantiated abuse has already occurred. Hmm. Uh, and, and also not only has abuse occurred, but uh, the second condition in order for a child to be placed into foster care is that um, primary caregivers are not immediately available within the family to step up to take care of that child. And so we're talking about families now getting prevention services where two things are obvious. One is that abuse has occurred, and two, um, that there's not a, there's not a, a safe caregiver immediately available for that child. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, while we're all about prevention services, the timing of these services may not be uh, the best in terms of how do we spend money on preventing something that's already occurred. Obviously, we all, all want to prevent further abuse. Um, in the home may not be the best place for that. And so, that's just an issue that not just our agency, but across the country we're looking at. How do, we, how do we respond to that? How do we, uh, you know, even as a Christian child welfare agency, how do we help 
family first to be successful in that endeavor to keep kids in the home after those circumstances are um, obvious. And so we're looking at, at that challenge, uh, which is, a, you know, as I say, it's a huge challenge. Uh, the other challenge that we're looking at is um, the removal of funds from uh, what's considered to be group homes to put them, uh, to put those funds not just in foster care, but in prevention services for those situations. Right. So, you know, you and many other children's homes across the country that are faith-based have traditionally been residential group homes. So how uh, are you at the Arkansas Baptist Children's Home working within this Family First framework, specifically through your Connected program, but also uh, in your current residential program? What what shifts are you making there in order to, to make this work? So the challenge with the language of group home care is that it's one phrase to cover a continuum of types of care. And so Families First does allow for uh, group homes to continue, uh, but they introduce language to our country. Um, They call it a QRTP, it's Qualified Residential Treatment Program, to say that as long as a group home fits the criteria for a QRTP, then funds will continue to be available for kids to stay in those types of programs. Um, the trouble for us as an agency is that we've always tried to have a family emphasis. And the natural layout for the QRTP type program is more of a, a congregate setting. And so, you know, the trouble that I have is um, I, think, I think when legislators were writing Family First, they had in mind the congregate setting of reducing the number of kids in that you know, dorm type situation. Uh, the trouble is that the, the QRTP allows for that while eliminating uh, the family style residential program, which is more of keeping kids in a home-like setting uh, mm-hmm. when that's not otherwise available through foster care. And that's what we have traditionally had on our campuses uh, for a number of decades uh, through Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes and Family Ministries. So our Monticello campus and our Harrison campus uh, we knew that we had to make some changes, uh, and, and really I'd say we had three options. Uh, I've seen agencies take all three of these options. Uh, one was become a QRTP anyway and do more of a treatment-based care. Uh, we decided not to take that option because uh, our mission, we believe, is not for treatment purposes, but it's for family purposes. Uh, our mission, uh, we say, is we build, strengthen, and restore Arkansas families for God's glory and the, our mission just doesn't allow for that to be the option that we take, we believe, in terms of treatment. Uh, a second option was to just go all private placements. Um, because of generous donations, we had um, that option as a realistic option. Uh, it would be tough for us, um, but we're not government money dependent. And so we could take the option to work with just private placements. In other words, any kid that's in the DCFS system, we opt not to take. Uh, Again, because of our mission, uh, we believe these are the kids who need family the most. And if at all possible, we want to make it our goal to work with the children in DCFS because we believe those are God's children, because those are the the fatherless in our state who really need the church's support. And so that left us with the third option uh, that we felt like was the best option. And truth be told, uh, as we've become more and more family-centered and family-focused, on our campuses, the third option really just became a natural option, and that's to move toward 
um, a model of campus foster care. And so essentially, uh, we're already taking care of kids in homes on the campuses. Uh, what this does is it puts a license in the home with the, with the foster parents as opposed to the license on the campus. Um, practically speaking, the day that we switch from residential, family-style residential to a foster care license, the kids in our homes won't know the difference because the purpose is to put family in the lives of kids who need family. That won't change. Um, what's going to change is the, the license and some of the structure and how we do it. Uh, some things we're moving toward anyway, like keeping less kids in the home, uh, like allowing them to do more family type activities and to have more autonomy and uh, you know voice in the structure that they maintain within their own homes. And so that's what we're doing on our campuses um, in, a, in a very fast-tracked um, process. And so even as we speak, we have our, um, even though they're already trained to be house parents, they're going through the state training for foster care and uh, meeting the requirements to have each individual home licensed uh, to do foster care. Awesome. So talk to me about your Connected program. This one's a little bit newer um, and, and certainly something that, you know, we've talked about last week on the podcast and or a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and, and certainly something I'm excited about. Uh, tell me about what that Connected program does and, and what successes and wins you're seeing there. We started looking around the state and realizing, you know, there's so much more need than what we're able to meet on our campuses. And so we thought if there was a way to be a service provider in the community uh, to where we can mobilize churches and put caseworkers in churches um, to really support them and equip them for foster care. Uh, we, by all means, want to be involved in that. Uh, so it's our firm belief that the government can't do what the church was put here to do. And we believe the church is put here to take care of these kids. And so our Connected program, I'd say it's what you love about our Monticello campus and our ranch campus mobilized to the communities where it's needed the most. We are strategically moving to the places around the state of Arkansas where foster care is needed the most and working with partnering churches to raise up foster families, basically as missionaries in the church, not just for the kids in that community. The, the beauty is that they're bringing kids from the community into their homes, but it doesn't stop there. Our goal is to get to know the family through taking care of the kid in that transition. And so whether we like it or not, 70% of the kids who come into foster care leave foster care to go back to stay with a biological family member. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think that's a great thing. Uh, when biological family members prove to be safe and stable, that's the best place to put a child. And so what we want to do is to make that even more successful. And not only successful, but we want to introduce them to a community, but not just any community. We want to introduce them to the church community around them that's going to support them and equip them uh, so that they can be successful. And, and also, the, one of the, the great things that we've seen is that when that family does start falling down the wrong path, the church is there first to try to lift them up. But when that proves to be unsuccessful, the church is there to wrap their arms around that child to limit the trauma the second time around uh, to keep that from being as severe. And so we're able to be there at first point of intervention uh, in those situations. Yeah, that's awesome being able to take care of kids like that. And, you know, certainly we've seen, um, you know, the recidivism start to go down, but we've also seen uh, real spiritual change in the lives of, of 
families who've had their kids taken away for a short season uh, and in the lives of these kids, um, if, if I'm hearing, hearing the stories right. That's exactly right. Man, that's, and that's what it's all about. That's, that's what it should be about, taking care of, uh, of these orphans. So let me ask you this. When we're talking to uh, other churches um, who are outside of Arkansas or outside of Baptist circles who really want to get involved in foster care and adoption, what are some things that you would, would tell those churches about how to, uh, how to go about doing that? So here's what's interesting about foster care. I hear more conversations about foster care today than ever before. And I, I believe it's just become much more of a conversation in our churches. But here's what I can tell you in the state of Arkansas. We have 100 less foster homes today than we had this time last year. And so while there's a lot of conversation, the number of people stepping up and getting in the game seems to be decreasing. Mm. Uh, the number of people staying in the game is also going down. Uh, and the reality is it's just a huge challenge. And so there's a lot of agencies that have risen to try to make this um, more successful. I would say if you're looking to get involved in foster care, uh, look for two different types of agencies in your state. There are service agencies and then there are support agencies. Both are really important to uh, success in foster care. The support agencies are the ones who are going to come along and they're going to help with resources. They're going to help with just a process of getting approved, answering questions, and that support uh, that you need in order to take care of kids in the, the most successful way. And then look for service agencies. And, and that's an agency that's more like ours. That's uh, a, you know, what we can call it in Arkansas, we're a private licensed placement agency. And so really we provide two services to foster families. Uh, we provide the service of placement as a private agency, and then we also provide the service of case management as a private agency. Essentially what that means is instead of working directly with the state for these things, you can work with a private agency. And one thing that we try to assure our families of is that we're going to keep our caseload low. We're going to get to know the families. We're going to work with them. We're going to walk with them from beginning to the end. And when they have a problem, they don't have to worry about whether or not they can get in touch with the state because they can get in touch with us and we'll respond uh, immediately and directly to help them meet those needs. Um, most of our service agencies uh, also do support, um, but there are some support agencies out there that really are just doing a great job with that. And so, like I say, there, there are both and, and each is great. Uh, I will tell you that 90% of the work that's being done in foster care is being done more on the support side. And so we really need people to step up and be a part of this service and a, a part of the direct care. That's the two areas we need the most. We need, we need people willing to be the caseworkers uh, from a Christian perspective and really make that difference. And we need Christian caregivers to rise up and say, we'll open our home to foster care. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, there are a lot of churches who would try to go out and do this on their own and just tackle it and say, you know, we don't need to cooperate or don't need to, to partner with anybody. But that's this is the true definition of para-church, you know, para-come alongside church. This is somebody who comes alongside the church who has an expertise in an area that um, is exceptionally complicated and becoming more and more complicated, especially legally uh, as, as time goes on. Uh, this is one of those areas where you really need a strong parachurch uh, ministry to come alongside the church 
church and take care of these uh, these things, really coach up the church and, and train up the church and, and provide those resources and support and uh, all, all the stuff that you just mentioned. Um, and and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, churches can do a, a, an okay job without parachurch, but to do it with excellence, to do it but where you're really caring for these kids and you're understanding the dynamics of abuse that have happened with these kids. Um, you, you really, really need an expert like you guys to come alongside and, and, and help the church. And, and ultimately we've seen, you know, we've talked about these abuses that we've seen in the adoption side. And, and one of those problems that we've seen in adoption is that you've just got people who are facilitating adoptions or helping with adoptions who just don't know uh, and don't have the experience or the training uh, to really do this in terms of the social work and the law and the behavioral health and mental health. And there's all the stuff that goes into an adoption. They just don't understand all those things. Uh, and it ends up causing problems for everybody involved. And so you guys are a huge, huge resource. I know for Arkansas Baptists, and I know you've got a lot of the country looking to you guys right now for guidance, and, and you've kind of set the bar uh, on how to operate within Family First, uh, both in terms of uh, transitioning your, your your residential care into kind of a foster care co-op and then, and then recruiting and, and assisting those foster care uh, providers through your connected program as well. So appreciate everything you guys are doing. Derek, any last thoughts on this subject uh, that uh, church leaders need to know about? Josh, I, I appreciate everything you said there, man. I hope we can live up to that. Uh, all I'd say is foster care is a lot harder than any of us think it's going to be before we get into it, but it is well worth it. Uh, it can transform your church uh, to be a missional church right in your own community. And uh, reach out to an agency like ours, a service agency. Uh, what I'd say is, you know, we can extend the reach of your church uh, through a partnership together. Uh, agencies like ours, we exist because of the church and for the church. And so uh, lean on us in terms of reaching your community through foster care. Thank you. Absolutely. Derek, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, if you uh, have any questions, certainly leave it in the uh, uh, show notes or, or post a question on any of our social media channels about this. We'll, uh, if we don't have an answer, we'll find you one. So, Derek, thanks so much for your time today and appreciate all you're doing. We're praying for your continued success. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks for having me. Wow, Josh, that is a, that's a that's a lot to take in, and obviously a lot of things that uh, you know specifically the Arkansas uh, Baptist Children's Home is dealing with. Um, but yeah, what kind of your final thoughts on that at that interview with Derek? You know, one of the my favorite things that uh, the children's homes are doing right now is is this model of how they are training families in the church to do foster care, uh, and it is really a beautiful meld between child welfare and church because the the goal from the child welfare side is obviously take care of the child but the goal from the church side and the in and, and this parachurch ministry coming alongside the church is church growth and so you've got an opportunity here where the church can minister to two families who are struggling one foster family who's dealing with some probably behavioral and psychological and emotional difficulties in a child but also a biological family who was going through some sort of difficult time that led to them having a child taken away from them and this is a perfect opportunity for us to be equipping these foster families to reach out and really not only the foster parents but also their small group to reach out to these biological parents when it's safe and legal to do so uh, and bring them into the fold provide this support network that they didn't have 
uh, oftentimes that led to this situation where they were going to lose their child for a period of time. And, and it, again, it gets to this point where we can really wrap our arms around another family. And, and the church has, has reached out to the community and, and there are people now who are going to heaven because of that, you know, uh, and it is a great time, um, in, in the children's homes, um, ministry, but also in these churches when, foster parents and biological parents sit next to one another and watch a foster child get baptized because they wanted to follow Christ. It's even a better time when the foster child and the biological parents get baptized together Yeah, because they've all been coming to church. They've all been hearing the gospel. They've all recognized they're broken uh, and they need a savior. Uh, and, And so, man, there's just such great stuff going on. This is a great way to send church members out into the world to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to take care of the least of these, mm-hmm. uh, and be missionaries to uh, to really the clearest manifestation of a broken world. Absolutely. And that's a brokenness between a parent and child. Yeah. So great stuff that they're doing there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Josh, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on over at Church Council. You know, we talk an awful lot about processes and how those processes can protect your church, but doing it well is really time-consuming. And so as a result, there are a lot of churches that are operating unprotected with few or no documented procedures and policies, not to mention the state of many churches' bylaws. Uh, And as the world becomes more litigious, church leaders are going to need a simple, affordable, expert way to protect their churches with good policies and procedures. And Church General Council offers that, a customized online policy and process manual that also serves as a cloud-based training platform for volunteers and staff. You'll have access to an attorney like myself that focuses on church law, and that is all included with this system. So go check that out at churchgeneralcouncil.com. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links. Everything is available for you there. And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week.